at that time, I think it's right around the time that I first went onto Instagram and I saw these people posting coloring pages, which was to me like a strange thing to post finished pictures of coloring pages. But at the same time, I was fascinated by it. And I saw that there were trends, you know, people trying to do really intricate things, trying to realistically render things. That spoke to me because I'm an art teacher and this is what I teach people how to do. Jennifer Zimmerman. Name on Instagram. Modern Coloring. Age. 47 years old. Lives in. Detroit, Michigan, USA. Family. One husband, two boys, a dog, and two cats. Work as. Illustrator, uh, coloring book artist. Favorite coloring book. Of my own, I would have to say... Bella Futura. I am inspired by and I love looking at the art of other coloring book artists, but I really can't name one specifically and I don't own that many coloring books. Favorite pens or pencils? I would have to say that that is a toss up between Prismacolor because I've been using them for so, so long and um, my newly discovered in the past couple of years, Luminance pencils. Coffee or tea? Definitely coffee. Definitely coffee. There is no life without coffee. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my coloring book podcast, Passionista Colorista. And welcome today's guest, Jennifer Zimmerman. Thank you. So before we start to dig in into these uh, illustrations and uh, book stuff and coloring stuff, tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you? Um, well, I am, I would say, first and foremost, a mom. <laughs> I have two boys and I'm busy, crazy all the time. There's always something going on in my life. There's never a dull moment. I am a huge animal lover. I adore animals and we always have some kind of pets. I think we're at an all-time low right now with just three. <laughs> and what else? I love all kinds of art. I am a trained illustrator. I went to school and got a degree in fine arts and I spent, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time getting a really solid education and I've learned so much throughout the years that I was in school about everything, about art history, about movements and styles of arts and things like that. So art has always played a part of my life. And I'm also a teacher. So teaching is a huge part of who I am. And I, in some way, shape or form, I always plan to teach. And uh, what do you teach? Well, I taught art in the public schools for many, many years, from grade school all the way through high school. I've taught classes in drawing and classes in painting, classes in photography, classes in digital art, ceramics, you name it, I've taught it. <laughs> But you said that it was that art was with you from early age. Very much so, yes. So how did it start? Well, I do know that when I was first in school, my first year of grade school in kindergarten, I was five years old and we had a show and tell, which is when kids 
would get up in front of the class and each have their moment to say whatever they wanted to about their lives. I got up when I was five years old and announced that one day I was going to be an artist. (laughs) And (laughs) I never gave up on that dream. It's always been with me. And I think along the way, when I was in grade school, I can still picture that I drew and I had won some kind of blue ribbon or something for a drawing that I did of a toucan bird. And it meant something to me back then because, you know, everybody looks for something that they're good at. And I felt I had confidence because of art and it made me a more confident person because I think even back then at that early age, I struggled with some of the other subjects in school. So this was, you know, something that I was good at. And you drew and colored at home? Yes, all the time. And I also took, you know, I had art classes in school. We had art in the school. And I took art classes from the time that I was a little girl outside of school on the weekends and after school. Yes. So after school, what did you do then after art school? My first real job was working for a toy company. I was hired as an illustrator and designer. And when I first started at this company, I worked in the Barbie department, like Barbie, (laughs) like the doll. And everything I did day in and day out was Barbie. So and very ironically, this is so strange, but one of the first assignments that I was given was to help to work on a coloring book that was Barbie. And we're talking, this was 20 years ago. So it's really very strange the way things come full circle. So yeah, so I worked in the Barbie department. I was responsible for creating toys, creating packaging. I was, I did some uh, creative directing with the photographers to help them figure out how the packaging needed to look with certain products. And then after that, I did some work as I was an in-house illustrator for uh, the stationery company, and I did notepads and journals and things like that, basically. And another fun thing that I did after that was um, I actually worked as a liaison sort of between that first toy company and there is, you may know, of a character called Hello Kitty, But the company Sanrio owns the license to Hello Kitty. And the toy company that I worked for worked with Sanrio and Target, the department store that we have in the U.S. And I don't know if that's in Europe as well. But we together designed a line of dress up clothes and accessories for little girls. And I was solely responsible for coming up with the design of everything and actually even making mock-ups of some of the products before they were presented to the people who had to create them. So that was really kind of (laughs) cool. So I've had some different experiences before I taught. And how did this coloring book thing started for you? The second, second phase of coloring books, not the Barbie one. (laughs) I was actually approached by someone I know who worked in the publishing world who knew that I was doing some commission paintings for people and had an idea about doing a book. And we created a book of more modern art based work. And that was my first coloring book and my first experience with this whole thing. But at that time, I didn't even know that there was a whole coloring community. This was in 2015. And, you know, there was the huge coloring boom, the coloring craze, but I didn't know that 
on Facebook, there were, I think I want to say someone at some point told me there were 80,000 people in coloring groups on Facebook. And after I, you know, did that book, I found all these Facebook groups and I created my website, which is called Modern Coloring. And, you know, started to learn more about the trends in coloring. And, you know, I became a little bit more invested in the groups and the whole community. And you have done how many coloring books after the first one? Three actual coloring books that I did on my own. And then I have the two tutorial books. If you start with the two uh, regular coloring books you did, how did you come up with those? (laughs) It's really kind of a funny story. You know, as I said, I was very fascinated by these groups on Facebook. And then I, at that time, I think it's right around the time that I first went onto Instagram and I saw these people posting coloring pages, which was to me like a strange thing to post finished pictures of coloring pages. But at the same time, I was fascinated by it. And I saw that there were trends, you know, people trying to do really intricate things, trying to realistically render things that spoke to me because I'm an art teacher and this is what I teach people how to do. And I also noticed that there was a huge movement and people trying to learn how to color skin tones. And I was looking through my portfolio and I found some images that I took of a friend of mine. I actually, I drove my friends crazy when I was in high school and in college, but college especially. I made them pose for me for pictures when I had to take photography classes. And I had a couple pictures where I totally dressed up my friends in art deco clothing and makeup and or 40s or 50s, you know, screen siren type women. And we took pictures and we just had a ball. We had fun. And I never did anything with the pictures other than use them in my photography class. So I had them in a portfolio and I came upon one picture of one of my oldest friends that I've known since we were five years old when she tied my shoe for me in kindergarten. And it was a picture where she looked, I dressed her up and did her hair to look like a flapper or to to look, actually she was more like a, a screen siren. And that picture spawned my first portrait book, which was called Glamorista. I love everything Art Deco, you know, thing from like the 1920s to 1940s. And I wanted this book to kind of just have that flavor to it. And I wanted to do a portrait book because I was so inspired seeing so many people trying to do realistic skin tones. So I did that and I decided that it was going to be, you know, not just the 20s through 40s. I I made it into a book of all of the decades, starting with about the 20s all the way through the present. And it's mostly portraits and then some jewelry that's inspired by the Art Deco period. How was the response of this book? Well, the response was amazing. I mean, I was so excited because I did this book by myself. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you do something like that. There are no guarantees. There's no one paying you to do this. It's or If you sell your book and people like it, then that's how it goes. But I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I really spent... I honestly don't remember how many months I probably spent about four months working on the book four or five months full time um, working on the book. And I decided to do it. And the response was amazing. And I started seeing people coloring my portraits and doing realistic colorings of skin or attempting to do that. And that's what I had hoped for. And your second coloring book, 
I had made a collection of more modern mandalas and abstract designs, and I had them all on my website. And I just decided because I had them already, and there is a certain need for that kind of stuff. And I did have a number of coloring friends that I had met, you know, through these groups that were really into mandalas and more abstract designs and patterns and things like that. I decided to take all of those images and make a book of it. I did end up adding a few more pages, but I called that book, it was called Glow Dollas. It wasn't one of my more popular books, but it did appeal to a certain crowd. And since I already had most of it, I wanted to put that out there for the people who love that kind of a thing. And after that book, I did my book, Bella Futura, which is another portrait-based book and also animals, you know, because of my love of animals, had to get them in there too. And when you do these portraits, you told us about your friend and these photos you found. Do you do you have models or photos for all the pages? No, not for all the pages. Some of them are made up, but some of them, if I have specific and sort of complicated poses, yes, I've used models, I've used my friends, and I've used those to help sort of direct me to create those the look that I want to make sure that it's realistic, yes. And when you are drawing or when you did these books, where did you sit when you are? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a fancy studio? Oh, gosh. Well, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Because when I'm in my zone, when I'm in my element and I'm sketching, if I'm sketching, my favorite place to go and sketch is I love to prop some pillows up and to go sit in my bed and sketch. And it's terrible because I'm sketching and I'm erasing and I've got, you know, eraser shreds (laughs) all over the place. But I love to be comfortable and really, really like focused. And if I'm sitting upright, I have like some neck issues. And if I'm sitting upright and looking down while I'm sketching, sometimes it causes more problems for me. So I'm so much more comfortable to do that part sort of reclining. And then, you know, the other parts are done from my computer, from my desk in an upright position. (laughs) And uh These uh, coloring books you did, did you colored in them yourself? The only time I really colored in them was for demonstration purposes and to test the papers and to do color alongs with people. I do some live color along type events on Facebook for my artist page. You know, I do a handful of them over each year. So for each book that I've done, I've done images from the book. But do I sit and color my books on a normal basis? No, there's not enough time in the day. I honestly don't have a a ton of time to do that. And I'd prefer, because I find the act of drawing itself so therapeutic, I prefer to spend my time if I'm doing art to actually draw. But I will say that what I do really enjoy doing is if I'm doing a cover for a book, you know, coming up with the colorings for that part. I really enjoy doing that because I really put so much effort into it to make it look just the way I see it in my head. <laughs> you mentioned it a bit. How how was it to see your pages colored in by someone else and posted on social media? Oh, my gosh. The first time that happened, I remember exactly who did it. It was a friend of mine named Elizabeth. So, Elizabeth, if you're listening to this, I'm talking about you. <laughs> she is an amazing colorist. And, yeah, it was so it's such an honor to see that people like my art enough to take time to put their colors to it. So 
Yeah, I'm I'm blown away by the response some of the time. And the first time I ever started seeing these these pages colored, you know, it's it's such it's truly an honor. That's the only word I can think of. It's so flattering. Um, it's such a compliment that people enjoy the line art enough to choose to use that to spend their time on. So when I would see it in the wild, it's such a compliment. And I really, when people tag me, I really try hard to, if I see that I've been tagged, to go and look and see, because someone took the time to do that, you know, and that means a lot to me. Did you work as a teacher at the same time as you did these books? Not these books. I did the last, the the Secrets of Coloring 2. I was doing a teaching job this year, and I did work on it. Yes, I did work on it while I was doing that teaching job. But the other books, I did not. I had done commissions while I was teaching. And uh, that leads us to these two popular, The Secrets of Coloring books. You have done two, Tutorials and Tricks. Uh, for coloring in the books. How did you come up with that? It's really kind of a strange story, but when I started putting out some coloring pages on my website, I had people contact me and ask me questions because they had known that I had done some live things. Well, how do you do a background? And how do you do, a, like, what can you do with a circle? And I started thinking to myself, you know, people who are just getting into this, they really don't know how to approach coloring some of these things and they need guidance and I just sort of on a whim decided to make a tutorial a step-by-step tutorial and it was how to color a pearl and I did this I think this was like 2016 and I did this tutorial I made a step-by-step tutorial it was a very simple tutorial on how to create a simple pearl from a circle so any circle that you have on a coloring page you can turn into a pearl I offered it on my website for free for anybody who wanted it, and I, you know, shared it around. And before I knew it, it kind of went viral, and all these people started using it. And then I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, like, this is a thing. Like, people really enjoy this. People, I mean, I have so much I could be teaching them because this is the kind of stuff that I teach all day long when I, you know, teach in a classroom. So I just decided that I started making a list of things that I thought would be helpful to teach people how to do. And at the same time, when I started doing more of the live color alongs, I had colorists start sending me private messages asking me if I could do a tutorial on this or if I could do a tutorial on this. And I started compiling a list. So eventually I ended up starting to put it together. Life got in the way a little bit. We had some health issues and things that we had to overcome in my family. And once we did, I was able to put my time and my mind and my heart into this. And I made the first Secrets of Coloring book. There are tons of uh, tutorials on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But to actually do it in a book, you can't show the whole process. You need to break it up and you need to really explain in text how was it to do that you know it's really kind of funny to think that i've written a book like that i'm an author an actual author of a book that was mostly text because i never really considered myself a writer before and when i 
started to do these step-by-step tutorials, I am showing every step along the way. I'm taking photographs of my process while I'm coloring. Every two minutes, I'm standing up and taking a picture. And I have to write down little notes so I know what colors I've used and, you know, if I've used circular motions or if I've used directional lines or whatever it might be so that I can in detail be able to explain to people how to go about doing this so that the version that they do will somewhat resemble what I'm showing them in the book. So it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work. I never anticipated it being so much work. But, you know, you live and you learn. And it actually, surprisingly, the first one went by surprisingly quickly compared to some of my other coloring books. The second one, not so much. The second one ended up taking me months longer than I had expected. But, yeah, it is a it is definitely a process. It's very labor intensive. Do you remember what uh, tutorial in the first book that was most difficult to do? I don't think I struggled. I struggled a lot more with the, the tutorials in the second book than I did with the the first one because I wanted to take the ones in the second book to a whole other level. You know, this was Secrets of Coloring 2 versus Secrets of Coloring 1, and I really tried to cover a lot of the basics in Secrets of Coloring 1. I didn't really struggle. I don't think I struggled with many of those tutorials. If I ever am struggling I am so, so lucky. I'm so fortunate because my husband, who I adore him with all of my heart, is also an artist. And if I ever get stuck on something, I always run things by him. You know, if I'm not seeing something the right way or something isn't reading the right way. And he is tough on me. He is a tough critic. So he he does not sugarcoat anything. So I show it to him and then I usually get kind of upset after I've shown it to him and regret for a while that I've shown it to him. <laughs> and then after I've gotten over being upset about it, I start making changes and seeing, you know, oh, this is where I went wrong. So, yeah, some of it is is tough. And I will say that with the second book, I <laughs> a couple of the tutorials I did, I think I did one of them four times and another one maybe seven times because I just wasn't happy with it. When you have uh, read what people are have said about your first book is there any of the tutorials that have been more popular than the others well in the first book i know everybody was doing golden eggs for a while so that was great <laughs> um, i did pearls i did more complicated pearls in that book maybe that was one of the ones that gave me a hard time because and i probably shouldn't even say this because you won't be able to unsee it but there's like a little smiley face hidden in every pearl and i would i never intentioned i never it was never my intention to make smiley faces but it was hard for me to try to make it look like a pearl because the, the, this is what the reflections look like in a pearl and you know i was trying to be true to the form of what it was with a reflective surface. So that I guess that was a little bit of a struggle for me to try to figure out. Yeah. It's beautiful, but now I can see the happy happy face. Yeah, you see the smiley face. It's hard not to, it's hard, it's hard to unsee it once you've seen yes. it. So it's kind of a joke between me and some of my colorist friends, you know, everybody says I see the smiley and you know, I mean there's a smiley in there. So happy pearls. Happy pearls. But you said the second one you wanted to do a bit, little bit more complicated? Yes, I wanted to take it to the next level. I just felt like the first book covered a lot of the basics, a lot of the 
introductory things like how to use light and shadow and for a basic form like a sphere. And that is using a sphere to demonstrate light and shadow is the traditional way that it's taught. So if you take an art class, a lot of teachers will use this as a model of how to light something because it's easy to explain on it. But in the second book, I really wanted to take it to the next level because I and I will say this, that I've had so many people contact me since writing the first book messages or and I've read reviews where people say, I wish that she would have taught us how to do this. And I do take all of that into consideration whenever I'm doing a book like I want to know where I went wrong, because I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. And although I know how to do a lot of things and draw a lot of things and the color to a lot of things, I'm not perfect. And I need to know what they're struggling with. So I had a couple people say something about, you know, I wish, you know, she had taught us how to add light and shadow to a different shaped object other than a sphere. So I intentionally in the second book, discuss a little bit about the parts of light. That's what I call it. I learned about the parts of light from a teacher by the name of Jerry Hampton. He was my rendering teacher, and he made it make sense for me. And I took the information that I got from his teachings, and I've actually used all of that every year I've ever taught. And I've put it into what I've taught my own students. And it's very basic stuff, but it makes you see things completely differently than than you've seen them before. Because I think what a lot of colorists struggle with is they color something the way they think they see it, but they're not really coloring something the way that they would actually see it. If that makes any sense. I know that sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, just like where your light and where your shadow hits and stuff like that. So I wanted to take that to a new level and I wanted to do some more complicated things. And I also wanted to touch on a few objects that are frequently seen in coloring books like mushrooms. So, you know, I decided to tackle that. And how was this book to do? Well, it took me about three times as long as I anticipated. I was going to try to do it. There's a lot of holiday stuff in it. There's a lot of Christmas stuff in it because I had intended to work on it all last summer. And as I had mentioned, we had some health issues and we had actually a couple accidents last summer oh. in my family. So unfortunately, I was very busy playing nurse and I couldn't really you know, focus on it. And then I ended up accepting this teaching job and I could really only put, you know, a little bit of time in it every day. I couldn't put the amount of time I wanted to until I was done with that. And the second half of this year, I probably spent most of my days between 12 and 15 hour days working on this book to try to get it done. And I did not make my Christmas time goal at all. I was off by about four months or maybe five. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really a, a huge undertaking. It was very tedious and it was hard work. But in the end, I'm happy with the overall product. And what response ha has this book got so far? It's been great. I've had, you know, the nice thing is that I've gotten to a point where I have, you know, some repeat customers and people have said to me that, 
they like this one more than they like the first one. And this one has more in it. And it, it does have more information packed into actually fewer pages, which, you know, I worked really hard so that I could keep the price of the book down. And I think that most people, most colorists don't realize and people who buy your books don't realize that a lot of this we cannot control. A lot of this is, you know, based on if we publish through Amazon it's up to Amazon. The pricing to a degree is up to Amazon, especially if we want to make it available to all parts of the world. We have to price it to a certain level. So I really worked hard to make sure that it didn't get too big so that the price wouldn't be driven too high. And did you do the sketches for this book as well in the bed? <laughs> no, no. These were much more... Um, mechanical. I did some of these. I actually was showing some of my students while I was doing some of them for this book. And that was kind of cool. So I did these all sitting in my at my desk or when I was, you know, wherever I was at the time. And actually, I, I brought along a little clipboard with me this time around. And I brought a little pack of pencils. And when I would take my kids to their tutors, and I had to sit and wait for them, I would color in my car, I would color, you know, to come up with the concepts for things like that. And then, you know, if I redid the picture again later, then I would do it again and step by step take pictures of it. So it was kind of all over the place. You know, I'm a busy mom. So I just had to kind of find a way to make it fit. Some of the tutorials in the books you have made on toned paper. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to get the same result in the coloring books? Well, what I have said specifically in this book is that it was difficult for me to decide how to handle this because one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted this to appeal to serious colorists who not, you know, beginning colorists as well, but also serious colorists who see the things that are trending in the coloring world right now. And so many people are coloring on toned paper, different toned paper, whether it's toned tan, toned gray or colored paper. And even in the first book, I did have some toned paper as well. And that went over pretty well. But I always recommend and I did recommend in the book that if you have the option of getting real toned paper, the exercises that I've provided in the book that are on like a colored background, I will also supply a PDF version of those pages on my website so that people can download them for free and they can print them off on the real toned paper because I will always recommend that you use that over what is in the book simply because sometimes these books are produced in different facilities and I don't know if there's going to be some sort of if they vary at all and if you know the way that the ink lays down varies at all I don't know and it's always going to anything you do is going to come out better on some kind of quality cardstock or quality tone paper like a Strathmore tone paper or a Canson uh, Mutientis paper like I've used in the book as an example. So I always recommend that you do that. But I've put it in the book so that people who might not have the option of getting some of these additional supplies, at least they will have a feel for what it's like to use lighter colored pencils on a darker colored surface. Because what is the thing about toned paper? I have never tried it. Oh, it's so wonderful. It is so wonderful. And I first started, I first did it in art school 
we did a lot of light drawing on toned paper. We used more, it wasn't as much with colored pencils, it was more with pastels and charcoals, but it's different because you're using lighter colors, generally speaking. I mean, you can use some darker colors too, but you're building up your layers, starting with darker colors going up to lighter colors, which is kind of the opposite a lot of times of what you're doing when you're on a white background. So if you are like me and really like to color in the books just because I like to have them in the books, what do you think, what should I think about if I don't have these fancy paper? Well, I mean, it is possible to color in the books as they are. You just won't get as intense of colors because the paper isn't as forgiving. So, for example, and one of the reasons that I do recommend that people try, and you don't have to use an expensive paper. I did actually make recommendations And based on where you live, I don't know what stores are in Europe, but in the U.S., we have craft supply stores. So we have Michael's stores and we have Hobby Lobby stores and we have Joanne's stores. And most of those kinds of stores carry colored cardstock and they sell it. It's like a dollar a sheet. And that works almost as well as the toned papers do if you cannot if you don't have access to those papers and if that's something you want to try to do. But if you only have the book to uh -huh. use, then that's fine too. You just won't get as intense of a result because sometimes they're, depending on how much ink goes down on the paper, it'll be more of a slick surface. Whereas the paper that I've used in the demonstration is very toothy, meaning it has texture to it and it will take a lot of pencil. So That's why I always recommend that if it's a possibility. When you color, you use a lot of layers. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Somewhere in, in uh, I don't know if it was number two or number one, but you say some, somewhere you write that it's kind of difficult to get uh, very vivid colors with just colored pencils. Yes. Something that, oh, it's so hard to try to explain to people. Because I have, you know, there's there are colorists who all they want to do is use a colored pencil. They do not want to use anything else. They don't want to invest in any other supplies. And I get that. I totally understand that. But at the same time, in this book especially, in the second book, I've gone out of my way to recommend all different kinds of alternatives at different price points so that you, if you feel the need to try something that I'm recommending here, to try a technique that I'm recommending here, it's not so costly if you do, if you use the less expensive products. And then once you, if you find that you're invested in this kind of coloring using these kind of techniques, then it's up to you if you want to purchase the more expensive versions of the ones that I'm suggesting you might want to try first. So a lot of this book specifically, and I did also do this in the other book as well, I use markers for the base layer of whatever line art I'm coloring in. And this is a skill that I was taught in art school. This is an illustrator skill. And why is it done? It's done for usually one of three reasons. One, it makes it go a lot faster. Two, you'll get much more vivid colors if you choose the right colors to put underneath your pencils. And number three is you'll actually save money if you're using expensive pencils. Now, if you're using a pencil like a Marco Ruffin, then you probably end up spending more money if you're going to put markers down first. But if you are using, let's say, like luminance pencils and 
for me, I just I try to use my luminance sparingly. So I don't use them up because they're so crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. And I can totally relate. You know, I bought my luminance pencils, too, and I don't even have a full, full set. I probably have a half a set because I've bought so many of them open stock, which is probably the worst way to go about buying them because they charge so much more for them that way. But when I was doing like the skin tones for this book and everything, I felt like I needed certain colors to try. So I did buy a lot of extra colors. But if I don't want to use too much of those pencils, I will put a layer of marker underneath and it really has so many benefits. So I would suggest for anybody who's only into colored pencil coloring, give it a shot. I mean, even if you're using a Crayola marker as a base for your first time around, do it on a small object so that you don't get a lot of streaking and let it dry 100% and then try putting your pencil on top of it. Are these uh, alcohol markers that bleed through or is it could it be water based? It could be either. Like the Crayolas that I just mentioned are the most inexpensive markers are I think generally made for kids. Those are water based. Personally, I prefer alcohol based markers, but alcohol based markers will bleed through almost any coloring book, just about any one, which is why. In the coloring books that I create, I create them single-sided because if it bleeds through the back side, it doesn't really matter if you put a blotter page underneath to catch that additional ink that might seep through. But for these books that I've created, the Secrets of Coloring books, if there are any areas in the book where you are supposed to practice a technique, and if you do end up using a marker, I've also made sure that on the back side of those areas of the pages, there's not something that you're going to destroy. I think this is really good for me to hear because I have for a long time felt almost like I'm cheating when I'm not just only use colored pencils as if I don't have the skill to or the patience to build the layers up. No, not at all. No, that's an old illustrator's trick. That's been around for a long time. <laughs> Don't feel guilty about that. That's a good thing. <laughs> you're saving your wrists, too, because a lot of people end up with, you know, if you're coloring every day, how many people listening to this podcast are coloring every day? Probably a lot. And yes, <laughs> I know firsthand I started to develop carpal tunnel syndrome when I was in art school and from grasping a pencil too tightly and using a really sharp pointed pencil every day, it will take its toll on your wrist. And you don't want to have to have surgery. You don't want to have to pay medical bills for something like that. Using a marker will lessen the amount of time that you have to spend actually using a pencil. And so, I mean, hey, if you want to spend more time coloring, then, you know, I guess that's a personal choice. But then you're going to end up also, you know, spending more time probably burnishing the colors as opposed to if you have a marker underneath, you don't necessarily have to burnish your colors. In the first book, you are covering something that that I know many people are interested in, and that is the color wheel, yeah. color theory. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to know about the color wheel? Well, the color wheel teaches us by looking at the color wheel, it's actually like it's more science than it is art. So any two colors that are crossed from one another on the color wheel all the way across the middle from one another on a color wheel are what are called complementary colors. Those are colors that are absolute opposites. There's actually a scientific way that I could prove this to you and show you, which I would show my students in my classes. It's a theory you might be able to look up online. It's called after image. And 
if you hold up any colored piece of paper against a white wall and stare at it for a long time and then move that piece of paper away and keep your eyes focused on the spot where it was, you will see almost like a glow, an after image of the opposite color of what you were just looking at. It's really something to do with your eye and it's science-based. So what that tells us is these, and this is what I've learned through teaching and through my experience, is when we use complementary colors, for example, they're colors that when put next to one another will make something pop. So if you've ever looked at somebody who's a, a, a page that somebody's colored, that the background is like, let's say, blues or violets or blue violets, and the foreground has something yellow and glowing, the reason that it pops so much is that those colors are almost opposites, the violet and the yellow. So that really helps to make something stand out. So if that's your goal, in what you're trying to do, it helps you to understand that. So it's easy to use a color wheel as reference if you don't know. I mean, I know because I've been teaching for so many years what colors are opposites to one another. But if you don't know off the top of your head, you can always use something like that for reference, and that will help you there. It will also help you to group what we call analogous colors, which are neighboring colors. So if you want your coloring page to look sort of soothing, Use colors that are close to each other on the color wheel because there's not so much difference that it makes your eye jump all over the page, if that makes any sense. Hmm. And are there some colors that don't match at all? I think that's more of a personal thing. I mean, from a, a scientific standpoint, the only thing I can say are the colors that are related and how they're related. We have primary, secondary, and tertiary colors, and those colors are all mixed and combined to create the different colors on the color wheel. It actually just starts with three main colors. You know, I, I don't know that I can say any colors don't go together. I can definitely say that there are certain choices that I wouldn't make of having colors together, but I think that's more of a personal opinion. So what is your relationship with the community? Oh, I love I love the coloring community. I love my coloring friends. It's really fascinating to me that all these people who have never met before face to face know each other so well. And back in the day, I think I would have been a little weirded out by the whole concept, but it's become such a regular part of life for everyone with technology that it's just it's part of my life now. And there are people who I check in with all the time, like my friend Tina, who I've known for a number of years, and she's become a very good friend of mine. And we've never met. I would love to meet her one day. Unfortunately, she's in Australia and I'm in the US. So one day when I get there, but I actually met up with a few people who color my work, a couple people that come from the area that I live in and by Detroit, close to Detroit. I guess it was maybe not this past winter, but the winter before, we met up at the Detroit Institute of Arts, which is the big art museum in Detroit. And it was really cool to get to see these people I've never actually met in person before that color my stuff. And we spent part of the afternoon strolling around the museum enjoying art. So that was really neat. And I try to be involved in the coloring community because I feel so blessed that people enjoy my art. And I've kind of, I guess, you know, made it a priority to let them know that I'm a real person. And I enjoy looking at what they've created. And I appreciate the effort that they've 
put into creating something and this collaboration that becomes a coloring page. And that's always really interesting to me. And I always try when I can to go and comment and thank people and everything for continuing to support me and encourage me and believe in the art that I do. Because it really, I mean, without this community, I would be really nothing. I didn't know much until I learned about the trends and what people are interested in. And now that I've developed these real relationships with people, it's nice to sit and talk about things with them one-on-one, you know, like, how do you approach this? Well, what do you use for highlights or this or that? So it's just neat to have that person that you can go to for these things. Cause you know, my friends here that I live by don't color. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nice to be able to relate to other people in a way. And in this second tutorial book, you have some persons from the community who are great at coloring. They are featured featured in your book. Yes. When I look around to see what's going on, and I've developed, as I said, some of these friendships with these people, you know, I don't know everything there is to know. But a lot of times I can look at art and I can say, oh, it looks like they used this to create this, or it looks like they may have used this supply, or maybe that's a watercolor background. And I'm pretty good at identifying those things. But there are times when I look at something and I'm like, I wonder how they did that. That's so cool. And a couple of those instances were with people that I was friendly with, such as Selena, who um, goes by the name Colored by Me on Instagram, and Lily Sense. And Both of those ladies really have a style of their own, and I am a big fan of what they do. So I approached them and said, hey, you know, I'm working on this next book. Do you think you'd be interested in contributing? I have no idea how you created that amazing glittery effect on this page. Do you think you could explain it or break it down into a few steps? So we kind of combined forces and together, you know, they took photos of what they were doing. And I created a page specifically for them. And we went together and talked about what they did. And I wrote up a tutorial based on what they were telling me for each step. And I just treated it as if it were my own and made a tutorial out of it, which I so blessed. I'm so lucky that they were happy to do it. And then I also had Blackinary uh, Irina Herman She is, I don't even know how she does the staging for the beautiful pictures that she does. Mm, I don't know if you've seen this on Instagram. Oh, my gosh. They're mind-blowing to me. It's like a whole other dimension. My pictures don't look like that when I take pictures. (laughs) I am not a professional photographer. So I was so inspired by it. And I figured she can show what this looks like better than I can. So why not ask her to do this instead of trying to do something that would look half as good? So why don't I ask her if she'd like to? And she was so happy. And I just wish that I'd asked her to do a tutorial on it. So maybe that'll be in book three. Who knows? Will there be a book three? We will see. Right now I am on sabbatical. I am on hiatus because I have to go to doctors that I have neglected to go to. I have to catch up with everything in my personal life. My studio is still somewhat of a disaster after working on this book because I probably had one time or another had 10 different tutorials going on at once because 
I like to take pictures in daylight and I would work on half of a tutorial. And this went on over the course of the winter. And in Michigan, where I live, we don't have many daylight hours in the wintertime. And I had to wait until the next day to finish some of them. So I would try to do anything I had to do on the computer at night. And during the day, I would work on, you know, when I had better light, I would work on the actual tutorials. So it's a very involved process. It took me so much time. I already have a list of things going for book three. If I ever do a book three, (laughs) we will see. So far, book two has been pretty well received. But now you need some rest. I do. I definitely do. I've I've already said, you know, to my kids, you know, I felt like a bad mom because, like I said, there were some days where I was working 15, 16 hours and into, you know, and I'm a night owl, so I'll work late at night. I mean, sometimes till one in the morning and, you know, and then I have to get up with them and help get them off to school. And I just was exhausted. So burning the candle at both ends is what I'm saying. So I need to take some time off. I need to spend some time with my family this summer. I just wanted to get the book done because I felt like it was time for that follow-up to be published. And, you know, it needs to there needs to be sort of a momentum and to stay relevant in this community. And I wanted to have it come out at a good time. And I'm happy with the results. I mean, I'm very, I couldn't be happier with, with everything that's come from it. Do you have any favorite coloring or drawing tools? Well, I've been using Prismacolor pencils for 30 some odd years. And I know that makes me sound really old, but it's the truth. So they're definitely a favorite of mine. And, you know, I, I, I get questions a lot of the time about, is it the same as what it was back then? And I would say mostly the same. I know that, you know, people say that they've changed the formula. Still, I use both. I have a new set of Prismacolors, too. And I really do combine both my old ones that I've had for 30-something years that I still have and my new pencils. Um, I love those pencils so much. And I love them so much because of their vibrancy. I feel like other pencils don't quite match up to them with the range of colors that are available. I love the Luminance pencils because they work to me kind of like the Prismacolor pencils, but as far as skin tone colors, I prefer the Luminance pencils over Prismacolor. And I am saying that, (laughs) I'm making that known. I do. I really do. I think that their colors are more natural. I think that they're, they're not as pure of colors. They're actually combinations of colors within a color. And that's what makes them more real skin tone like, you know, so you could add a greenish undertone or an olive undertone to someone's skin by using a color that still kind of looks almost like a skin tone color, but it has just a hint of that color to it. Whereas in Prismacolor, there's not as definitive of a color for that exact purpose, if you know what I mean. So that doesn't mean that you can't just use Prismacolors for skin tones. You can, but you might actually want to go in and use like, let's say a green pencil, a little bit of green or a little bit of blue in your skin tones to help create that realistic skin tone. I sometimes put violet in my skin tones. It just depends. It depends on, you know, in the shadow areas and stuff like that. But other tools that I love, I love Copic markers. They are my favorite brush markers. I prefer brush markers over 
any other point. Although I have some other great markers as well that aren't brush markers, but those are my probably my first favorite. My magic weapon tool is my Tombow Mono Zero Eraser. That is my secret weapon because it is such a precise little eraser. And while I'm drawing, especially if I'm sketching, and I really am trying to get like the details of a face or something like that and some very small nuance. And I don't want to take off too much with a big eraser, a big clumsy eraser. I like to use that eraser. And I will also use a kneaded eraser, although I'm pretty picky about those. Uh, what do you mean, picky? <laughs> How did I know you were going to ask me that? <laughs> I will say that there are brands that I like better than other brands. I just feel like I think that Prismacolor bought out an older brand and I can't remember. I think it was called Design. It was called Design and they make great erasers. I'm not fond of some of the ones that are made by the other big um, pencil companies. I just don't. Maybe they work for their brand of pencil, but they don't work for all brands of pencil. They don't pull off enough. Um, so if you're really trying to lift color and the whole idea of a kneaded eraser is to lift a layer of color off so that you don't destroy an image. That's the whole idea of a kneaded eraser. So if it's not lifting anything, you're not getting anywhere. So I really do prefer the Prismacolor brand ones for that purpose. What are your best coloring tips in general? Well, I guess I would say number one is... And I hear about this all the time. And it's, you know, whether it's students learning to draw or people in the coloring community, I, I see people post stuff about how they're not good enough. And I've actually spoken to some of my coloring friends. And sadly, some of them have kind of bowed out because they felt like compared to some of these newer colorists that have come about in, in the scene and become known for their coloring, they feel intimidated because they feel like their work isn't good enough and whatever. So my whole idea, my whole theory about that is that's no, you cannot let that happen. Everybody is their own person. You cannot compare yourself to anyone else. The most important thing you can do is compare yourself to yourself. Is it hard work? Yes. But if you want to see growth, Start somewhere, take pictures of your first colorings if you want to throw them out. Take pictures of them first so you can document your progress. Go watch YouTube tutorials or buy, you can buy my tutorial books or whatever you need to do to learn more about how to go about coloring. And then watch what happens over the course of, let's say, a year. What happens with your coloring? I have seen so many colorists that I know or know of I have seen them come so far. And even myself, I've noticed growth from the time I did my first coloring book to, you know, what I'm doing nowadays. I've totally been inspired by this community and to push myself even further. But the most important thing to remember is not to compare yourself and your coloring or your skill level to someone else. Take baby steps learn little bits along the way. And the other thing, as I've said in my first book is, in my opinion, I mean, unless you just started a page and it's horrible right to begin with, then throw it out. But if you've started a page, you've been working on it for a little while, don't throw it away. Put it away and walk away from it. And that's the best advice that I can give you because it's really interesting what will happen overnight or a couple days later, if you take that page out and you look at it with a fresh set of eyes, 
You will see all the mistakes that you made. You will see all of the things that bother you by looking at that after having not looked at it for so long. So it's really helpful to do that. And honestly, I have come so close to throwing things away and I have to remind myself, just put it away and then revisit <laughs> it later because it you can really see where you went wrong, where things went awry. And I also, I just need, just need to read something for from your First book, you have wrote, many colorists strive to color like professionals, but don't know how best to utilize their materials. They keep buying more materials, hoping that something <laughs> will magically happen. They see others create dynamic and professional looking pieces of art, but don't know if they'll ever be able to get there. <laughs> I felt like, oh, <laughs> that's me the first years. <laughs> Speaks speaks to a lot of people, yes. Yeah, I need to buy that thing yeah. and that thing. Yeah, yeah, and you can spend so much money on coloring supplies. And I mean, it can't hurt to have the best things that money can buy, but it's not going to make you a better colorist or a better artist until you really learn how to use those specific supplies and to learn the basics first. If you don't learn the basics. And I always say, and this is why I, I covered the parts of light in my first book. It's one of the primary lessons that you need to understand to move forward. If you don't understand how light works, none of your objects are ever going to look real. And I see so many people wanting to color hair or metals or whatever it might be. And you have to think about where your light is and how that's going to affect everything. Um, and it's, you know what? It's not easy. I'm not wonderful at making up my own light sometimes. You know, sometimes I pose my hands or look at things to see how shadows would hit because it helps me to see that reference. But you will learn and it just takes time to do. But don't keep on buying coloring supplies until you've improved and you, you know, you know that you need that next supply. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you all that have been listening and goodbye. Bye-bye.